In this week's episode, Joseph de Walker, tutor and lecturer in church history, reflects on his own journey during Lent through the writings of author Graham Greene and on being found by God in the mess of life. Being asked to record a Lent reflection filled me with some dread. Because this Lent, I've not given much up. I haven't taken much up. Indeed, if I'm brutally honest, I haven't been very proactive in seeking the Lord at all kept from church and sacrament, locked down in my house with all its distractions and anxieties. One thing I have been doing is reading, and it's here that I've found God lurking, waiting to speak to me from the pages of Graham Greene's Catholic novels, as he has, frankly, several times in my life. Greene was a messy man and an ambivalent, he would himself say, reluctant Catholic His novel, The End of the Affair, is a messy book and not really a model for the earnest disciple at all. It's a story of sexual immorality, an adulterous affair, death, loss and resentment. But aren't all of our salvations worked out in mess? Most human stories are necessarily murky and complex, including each of our stories of how we met and became children of God. Perhaps that's a necessary part of Christianity. God chose to make himself known by becoming a fleshy part of contingent human events, by walking among us in messy history. The end of the affair is a story of two messy people who are not seeking God, but who find him, or rather, are found by him. Sarah Miles has been carrying on an extramarital affair with Maurice Bendrix during the Second World War. In 1944, she breaks it off with him for no apparent reason. This drives Bendrix mad and he commissions detectives to find out why. Eventually, his detectives bring him Sarah's diary, and reading it with Bendrix, we discover that Sarah has ended the affair because of a conversion, or something approaching it. A pseudo-conversion? A proto-conversion? We're left unsure, but in any case, it's an encounter with God. Earlier in the affair, Sarah made a bargain with God that if he saves Bendrix, when Bendrix is buried during an air raid, she will terminate her adulterous relationship with him. Dear God, I said, I'm quoting now, Dear God, Why dear? Why did I say dear? Make me believe. I can't believe. Make me, I said. Let him be alive, and I will believe. Much of the rest of the book consists of Sarah attempting to flee the reality and the grace of God, but she finds that she cannot. The scars, the images, the light of God's presence, the mark left on her by her baptism as an infant, are all there, and she keeps running into them. Wandering London, desperately unhappy, she pops into a dark church to sit down and finds herself surrounded by religious imagery. I realised it was a Roman church full of plaster statues and bad art, realistic art. I hated the statues, the crucifix, all the emphasis on the human body. I was trying to escape from the human body and all it needed. I thought I could believe in some kind of a god that bore no relation to ourselves, something vague, amorphous, cosmic to which I had promised something, and which had given me something in return, stretching out of the vague into the concrete human life like a powerful vapour moving among the chairs and walls. One day I too would become part of that vapour, I would escape myself forever. And I came into that dark church and saw the bodies standing around me on all the altars, the hideous plaster statues with their complacent faces, and I remembered that they believed in the resurrection of the body. A vapour couldn't shock you with blood and cries. Eventually, Bendrix, too, through reading her diary, attains to some sort of belief. Unable to escape the truth behind the sum of coincidences in her life, the answered prayers, the apparent efficacy of the childhood sacrament, 
the belief which came as Bendrix lived. As I mentioned at the start, Green himself was a flawed individual, a bad Catholic and a serial adulterer who never seems to have attained a sense of home or belonging. But he understood something about the indelible fingerprints of grace which God has left upon each of our immaculately painted, if messy, lives. I have not always sought God myself, but in my most desolate moments he has sought me, or I've caught him lurking in the shadows of a church that I've stumbled into as a tourist, or in a bad piece of art, or in the sudden memory in a panicky and despairing episode of a calming song my Christian mother used to sing. So in this Lenten season, whether you're going through it as a full-blooded pilgrim, or just drifting through it like I am, perhaps you can think about the marks of grace that God has left in your life, or in your story, the times he's found you, even as you weren't particularly looking, and you found his grace and reality impossible to escape. Lord, make me believe.